Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. I'm Rob Aldrich. And I'm Kelly Westby. So Sean Maxwell is a good friend of mine. He used to work for Stephen Winter Associates in the cubicle next to mine, and we would stay up late trying to come up with creative ways to test ventilation systems. Who knew what you could do with a little cardboard, a little tape, and maybe a quick call to Gary Nelson from the Energy Conservatory? Sean has been in the building science industry for over 15 years and has had a wide variety of roles involving testing building systems, helping building owners address issues, publishing industry-leading research about ventilation and airtightness in multifamily buildings, and training others in the industry. Sadly, for the New York City multifamily market, Sean moved to Australia. Australia, mate. Sean explains how finding a job wasn't as easy as he thought. When I first got here, I was looking to connect with other testers, um, doing things that I used to do back in New York. So um, retro commissioning and testing things, some research in building envelope leakage and compartmentalization and ventilation, those sorts of really fun subjects. And once I got to Australia, there was just uh, hardly anyone doing it. It was tough finding a job, but Sean started doing some air barrier consulting and soon needed to purchase his own blower door. So I was looking for a quote for a blower door. And uh, I got a quote from Thomas van Ramstonk, one of my old trusty friends who is from Germany. Uh, Proclaima is a German company. And... um, he gave me a quote for a blower door and then said, by the way, um, would you like a job? And so um, I was the first one hired out here. And uh, I've been pretty much, uh, so my title is a technical manager, but it's more like, um, it's almost uh, a bit of business development um, in that trying to encourage a building science industry. So pretty much that's been my focus, um, encouraging people to care about uh, airtightness and encouraging them to care about moisture management. So now, Sean has been a technical manager at ProClima for almost four years. He was explaining to me that his job is obviously to sell ProClima products, but that day-to-day, it's really about educating the market. I'll let him take it from here. Currently, standard construction, it's true in America, and it's definitely true in Australia, that there is a race to the bottom for whoever can satisfy the code with the minimum cost and the fastest, the cheapest that you can do, satisfy the code. And um, so there's a race to the bottom. And Proclima is only going to sell uh, high-performance building products to an industry that cares about high-performance. Because um, if people don't care about building performance, then you're never going to sell anything. So... Um, we need to educate the market to say, look, these condensation problems that you're seeing are a result of um, either too much airtightness with no consideration of ventilation or uh, poor choice of building envelope materials. Um, there's lots of lots of reasons for that. So Australia is going through this painful period here where they're strengthening their energy code and then noticing these unintended consequences. It's like um, a, a buzz phrase here. Um, condensation is the other uh, hot topic 
Um, so they are learning these lessons that America learned uh, 15 years ago, uh, 20 years ago, that um, you can't just change one thing in, in the building envelope, like add more insulation and then not pay really strict attention to quality control, like insulation consistency and continuity and building air tightness and not end up with major problems. We had a, a conference here that we've been involved in volunteering for AERA, which is the uh, Australian Institute of Refrigeration, Air Conditioning, and Heating, which is similar to ASHRAE in the U.S. Um, and they have a, a forum each year, uh, which has been a lot of fun um, and a great time to trade ideas with uh, the people who think um, in, a, in a pretty progressive way here. Um, think about building science it's called the era building physics forum and it's pretty cool uh so i heard uh through um a couple podcasts uh Dwayne Johnlin i heard him on the building science podcast first and um he's he's great uh and i took so much inspiration from the way that they uh approached building code in the state of washington um and the seattle area that uh I thought this would be a great example for us to copy or take inspiration from uh, to drive how we're going to do building codes, regulations, standards, uh, labels, things here to drive the industry. Really inspirational. Yeah, that's great. And we had the um, host of the Building Science podcast on uh, as well, and I had talked with him a little bit about um, Dwayne Johnlin. We had talked to him when we were updating the New York City Energy Code, so it's something I think I've mentioned here on this podcast before is um, most of the things that you're doing are not new. And so if you can look at what other people have found, even if the research is, you know, a little bit of a different location, a little bit of a different climate, um, there are a lot of translations, uh, I think. So leveraging that those leveraging the mistakes, leveraging the time and money and effort and research dollars that were spent in in other locations. It's really important to pick our heads up and see what's going on around us. Yeah, uh, there is a lot of uh, opportunity for cooperation for sure. That's great. And you mentioned codes. We had um, we had Gayathri on the podcast, and she actually mentioned your work trying to get some air sealing changes to the uh, international energy code, um, the, that she kind of pushed through on uh, and ultimately was able to pass. And uh, I'm wondering, are you still involved in code development in, um, in Australia? We did some, some good, good things over the past couple of years. We got um, blower door testing into the code as an option. Um, it's not mandatory. Uh, it's sort of like um, uh, for a while in the IECC, uh, the commercial code says uh, you can do you can do a whole building air tightness test, or you can do this uh, a bunch of things related to air sealing and um, definition of air barriers in your your building plans uh, and testing yeah. to prove it. So um, so it was sort of. Two, two paths. Uh, the testing path was only one option. And so that's uh, what we got into the building code for both commercial and residential, um, which is good. It's an option which some would say, oh, darn, it's only an option and it's not mandatory, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. 
and it just lays the groundwork for future progress. So uh, we'd, we'd consider that a success. Yeah, and I think there you kind of alluded to that there's differing opinions on what makes sense, but I've definitely seen that um, in in standards and codes that progress can be made by soft introductions of of uh, items and then kind of requiring them as a next generation step. So the next code cycle or the next standard cycle, sometimes then you can shift it up to a requirement. Yeah, uh, there's progress. So really, um, I like to think about building codes as only one way of changing how things are done. That's the whole purpose. That's what your job and my job has been this for my whole career. It's been basically, um, how do we improve the quality of construction? So I started out with energy star homes, uh, more than 15 years ago, doing blower door tests and insulation inspections and duct tightness tests and ventilation measurements and things like that. Um, on, I easily have done a thousand blower door tests and uh, that has been our job. Uh, you do commissioning now on a much, much larger scale, uh, crazy complexity of projects that you deal with. Um, but that's pretty much our job, isn't it? Just quality control? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, so are you saying that there's there's codes and standards and then quality control are kind of the two methods? Uh, well, that's what, codes are is quality control so mm -hmm. it's it's sort of um a minimum i mean that's definitely the minimum quality control yeah. i i often say uh smirk and say well uh the building code is uh, don't be proud of something that's built to code because building code is the worst building you can legally build and it really is i mean you can't build any worse than that and not get in trouble <laughs> so right. it's nothing to be proud and of um, I actually say further than that, the the worst building you can actually build is whatever the enforcement of the energy code is. Mm. So it's actually, it can be worse than the energy code uh, or worse than any other code, as long as those portions of it are not enforced. So that kind of gets to my, my feelings about, uh, you know, quality control and enforcement versus having something written down. And I think that's from my perspective, kind of in the commissioning world, um, like what you're talking about now, you sort of live in the space between the drawings and what's written down on paper and then what kind of comes to fruition in real life and what gets turned over at the end of the day to the building occupants. Yeah. The Energy Star Homes Program, um, if we right. just start there, uh, that's not, uh, I would say it's pretty modest improvement over um energy code it's uh, back when i was uh, doing it f uh, 15 years ago it was something like 15 percent better than code or maybe 20 percent better than code so not that more much uh, more stringent but the quality control meant that you were actually inspecting the insulation installation so it was grade one grade two grade three ins insulation installation and um <laughs> duct tightness testing and air, air tightness testing, which those basic steps of quality control, like duct tightness testing, which now is building code in many U.S. states, of course you should be building your ducts tight, and of course you should be building your uh, your building envelope tight. Um, it's just sort of uh, assumed or sort of willfully ignored that um, most standard construction doesn't actually do these 
basic steps of quality control. So, yeah, uh, you can't assume that what you're getting is even um, building code. You're, you're totally right. Yeah, and that's an excellent point. I, I think I like to give everyone credit. There's a lot going on in the in the construction world. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people moving around in buildings, especially kind of the larger buildings, and you're installing things floor by floor. And did you do that thing before the drywall went up? I'm not sure. Um, and, and sort of a tendency to um, keep going that I think allows people to sweep things under the rug um, or behind, sweep things behind the drywall, if, as it were. But, um, but yeah, having those requirements to, to take a look behind the walls, I think are important. Yeah. And kind of moving, moving on to that, you talked, you talk about carrots versus sticks. So let's get into that a little bit. I would say, you know, maybe define, I, I think I know what you mean by carrots and sticks, but maybe define it for us first. I guess you could say carrots and sticks are like uh, incentives and penalties. And um, a lot of what we talk about, so building codes are basically entirely sticks. And in a lot of cases, they're sort of um, broken sticks, uh, some that aren't really useful at all. So a lot of prescriptive uh, requirements in building codes, if you were to only meet the prescriptive requirements in some building codes, I'll just give you the example. The You can download the National Construction Code 2019 from Australia. Uh, the section 3.12.3 of volume two, uh, the residential code, it's silly how um, useless this section of the code is for actually getting a building um, air tightness uh, result. It says things like um, a roof light, which is like a skylight. A roof light must be sealed or capable of being sealed. Hmm. And if that's not ironclad language, I don't know what is. Uh, just <laughs> yeah. kidding. It's just like, it's completely useless uh, to actually getting a result from someone. When I'm here, I, I can't uh, keep pointing to the U.S. and as this pinnacle of uh, how things work correctly because I, I know there are a lot of problems there, but at least some of the codes are at least more descriptive about what's required. So if you look at the prescriptive, there's a table of uh, prescriptive envelope sealing requirements in uh, the residential, uh, in the IECC. So there's yeah. a whole table of things that have to be sealed um, and there's a thermal envelope uh, criteria and uh, air sealing criteria that have to be met. So if you compare that page versus the couple pages in, in the Australian code, it's a very big difference in how you can, the results that you can expect and the results, obviously, that we're seeing. There's a huge difference. Right. Sticking to the stick mm -hmm. for a minute um, and the broken stick you, you mentioned, if you could propose, say, one to three things uh, for code updates, what would those be? Mandatory air tightness testing would be a very, very basic and effective step towards better envelope commissioning for this country. And what the number is and uh, what the number you have to meet is, what the target is, what leakage limit it is, or what pressure you have to reach. I'd say some of that stuff... Um, so the way that Dwayne Johnlin um, and the uh, state of Washington did it, and I think is very admirable, is to say, just get the testing started. Just start testing. And so many things will start happening yeah. from there. What happens when you 
uh, start doing testing is you realize it's not that scary and you uh, might actually learn something and that will improve the buildings a lot faster than you know more stringent code or or regulation will um, so I it took a lot of uh, inspiration from that so mandatory testing should be in the code um, I would say I, I don't actually know uh, what it's like in America with uh, ensuring that ventilation is actually um, measured but and that's not a not a code uh, requirement but it would be a regulatory requirement on a local level that uh, local jurisdictions say you have to show that your ventilation systems are actually ventilating which I know I mean right. I'm from New York where uh, or I was from New York where we did a lot of ventilation studies and found that it was very seldom that ventilation systems, especially in large buildings, were working correctly. It was amazing when they were, and it might have been just because of the the weather might have been favorable at the time. But it's really difficult to make them <laughs> make them consistently work and deliver uh, even just extract the same amount of air from every apartment at the same rate. It's very difficult. Yeah, and specifically, you're you're sort of referring to. And we can link, I'm sure we have something, uh, a blog post about this or something, but you're specifically, uh, maybe that you wrote, <laughs> um, we, about central ventilation systems and multifamily buildings um, that are sort of uh, notoriously not pulling air from the right spaces and, and causing indoor air quality issues in, uh, in apartments. Yeah, it's just really difficult to make them work uh, effectively universally. I mean, I, I, mean, I got to say, uh, to uh, tell, to give some um, understanding to all the builders and mechanical engineers uh, out there that are trying to, you know, they're delivering this thing that that used to be okay. Like they just put the fan on the roof, connect the ductwork to it, put all the registers uh, down this thirty-story building, and then it's supposed to be working. So they've done what's according to the code um, or as far as it's enforced. But then once you go there and you take uh, measurements, flow measurements from each apartment, you see that there's rarely are they actually delivering the nominated uh, uh, ventilation rate from every apartment. Very rarely. Um, and that's, uh, it's just really complicated. It's just hard to do, especially with, um, so pretty much the the conclusion we came to is that the more you can get control over all these variables, uh, especially in large uh, multi-zone buildings like multi-family or uh, multi-unit residential, um, they would. Uh, the more you can compartmentalize the individual units so that they're not communicating and creating uh, these networks of airflows that you can't really predict or control, uh, the more opportunity you have to actually um, control the ventilation in and out of those units. Right. And we can, um, I think we have a, your study actually on where does makeup air come from. So um, speaking kind of basically to that of there's the ventilation system itself that you need to make sure is working. The fan is actually working. There's actually a belt if there's supposed to be or even better, it's direct drive fans. The ductwork is sealed. There's no gaps or holes in the ductwork and things and basic things like that. And then what you're saying, the other portion of it, which is compartmentalizing the, um, the apartment itself. Yeah. Speaking of that, when you're talking about getting, implementing, um, 
things in the code, the the ventilation test and the air, air barrier test. Are you talking about single family homes or and or getting it in the residential code? Um, or are you talking about kind of all buildings? So it's in the National Construction Code 2019 as an option for both commercial buildings and residential buildings. So um, it's not mandatory anywhere, um, but uh, what it is taking a step in the right direction where some um, individual uh, stakeholders, uh, some para-regulators, you could call them, like Green Building Council has a, um, a label, the Green Star label for uh, mostly commercial buildings, and soon there'll be a, a residential, uh, a single-family detached residential label um, from right. Green Building Council. Um, they would say, well, uh, if you're going to participate in our program, then you need to take this option, which is a way of uh, progress. So it's not mandatory, but it's at least giving, showing a path forward, which is helpful. Right. But I mean, you, you were saying what you would recommend to be uh, added to the code for next cycle or future cycles. Yeah. So number one would be mandatory air tightness testing. And then... Um, I would say uh, that I would also recommend uh, mandatory duct tightness testing, um, f- both in uh, commercial buildings and residential. It's code for commercial buildings, but very large systems. I think it's, I, I, I don't talk about it as often, maybe it's 3,000 liters per second. So pretty big systems. Mm. But I would say you have to do it uh, for uh, any system. I would say that would be a, a huge step in the right direction. Yeah, that's the same here. It's it's only applicable for, or in New York at least, even in the 2020 energy code. That was one thing I would have loved to see is mandatory duct tightness testing for low pressure duct work. Um, but right now it's only required on duct work greater than three inches, mm-hmm. I believe. I mean, there'd be some other things that I would recommend and not just in the commissioning things, but I it's pretty amazing to me that um, single pane glazing is still the norm here for most of this country. And then uh, Australia wonders, there's whole working groups. Uh, my colleague Jesse Clark from Proclima um, here is a, a wizard with um, moisture uh, analysis. He's on the condensation working group for the uh, building code. Um, they have a condensation working group. Let that uh, take note of that. Um, and I think it's no wonder that you get condensation in a lot of buildings in Australia because we have uh, no attention to uh, building air tightness, no attention to ventilation, at least as installed. And you might write it on the code, to, uh, write it in the code to say you need ventilation or you need this much ventilation. AS 1668 is the ventilation standard. But um, there's no uh, mandatory constant uh, ventilation like there is in uh, ASHRAE 62, 62.2. So um, you're not diluting moisture from the space. And then there's thermal bridging all over the place. The biggest thermal bridge I can think of is single pane glazing everywhere. And you get condensation. These mm. brand new buildings going up in Sydney, lots of construction going on uh, all in all the big cities in Australia, and they wonder, why are we getting condensation on our uh, everywhere, this condensation problem, condensation? 
but some of the building materials that are being used, there's foils everywhere. Can you believe they use these uh, reflective foils in walls? On And it's just standard construction to use these reflective foils on the outside of walls. Maybe you don't think about this that often um, doing mostly mechanical work, but they use these for the building envelope here. It's standard practice to use uh, a cheap uh, um, aluminum foil uh, backed um, polyester. They call it sarking here. Um, And uh, it's a foil backed uh, membrane that they put on the uh, outside of every wall while they're doing construction here. And it stays in there, and then this is in a very, very effective vapor barrier, and it's on the cold side of the insulation. So if you have any air leaks, which, again, they don't do any air tightness testing, uh, and you start adding more insulation, you uh, you start creating a dew point uh, on that cold, metalized surface in these walls, and of course you're going to get condensation. Of course. So that would be another thing if I could just, you know, write a big red line in the uh, in red text, no foils in on the outside of the building envelope in some climate zones. It's just obvious. Okay, the the new code is written by Sean Maxwell. <laughs> and there are there are a lot of other people who who think the same way. I mean, so Jesse Clark here. Yeah. He, have you ever heard of Woofy? Yes, but uh, maybe you should explain for our our listeners. So sure, uh, Wufi is W U F I. It's Varma und Feuchte Instationar, or something like that, uh, which means warmth and uh, moisture transiency or transport. So it's uh, moisture analysis for building envelopes, and a lot of work. Uh, it's really, really excellent work that's been validated by uh, real-world data again and again and again. It's been around for a long time. It was started in Germany. Jesse Clark has been to uh, Germany a few times and been to the Institute to, to talk to them. Uh, Hartwig Kunzel, one of the uh, creators of Woofy, has been to Australia to speak and led workshops on, on Woofy. And they are sort of uh, puzzled as to why we're still using things like foils in walls in climates like um like Sydney, and then not doing anything related to building, building air tightness. So it's sort of um, some really basic steps of building envelope commissioning are missing. Got it. And to talk about the issues with codes, so talk to me a little bit more about the um, Green Building Council there and what they can do to maybe incentivize better performance, or if there's other incentives there um, to be kind of Pull the carrot out. Sure. Well, so uh, we had um, some folks from Green Building Council come when we had um, our. Uh, we've been doing um, trainings with ATMA, the Air Tightness Testing and Measurement Association. So it's a way to unite all of our air tightness testers in this country and make new testers to expand this industry. Um, and that's been been good. We invited. Uh, Green Building Council to meet some of them, uh, some of the really committed ones, the level two testers who can test larger buildings or more complex buildings. Um, and we just looked around the room and said, you know what? All of us, everyone in this room right now is standing here because of uh, Green Building Council and people like them. They are uh, 
for all of their faults, they are definitely uh, driving the market towards um, a better place. They're trying to push what's considered sustainable, what's considered uh, energy efficient, and trying to push that definition uh, to be more stringent. And that's really admirable. And we have to give them a lot of credit for that. Great. And where do you see that interplay between the sort of uh, setting the standard, setting the green standard, and then, um, you know, holding the minimum? Where do you see those two things interacting? And what do you think belongs in in one bucket or the other? Well, so Green Building Council has tried to do... um, they're trying to use carrots and sticks themselves. So one of the sticks that they've put in one of their in their more recent versions of Green Star, um, that's their label. Like um, lead is the uh, the program from the U.S. GBC. Um, so uh, they've tried to put um, air tightness testing in the commissioning credits. Um, which it is, it's building envelope commissioning, which is good. But uh, the way it's happened is that most projects, um, because no one has the awareness of what this means, um, a project will say, well, you want Green Star on this? Okay, there's a a 10% premium on on this because we have to use more expensive flooring materials and uh, different paints and more paperwork and stuff. That's a lot of what um, happens with uh, green building labels, but then the commissioning process, uh, the, the commissioning credits basically get lumped in with the mechanical uh, contract, uh, the mechanical um, systems contract. But this is the the situation where the mechanical contractor now has this credit that they don't know what it is and they don't care. They just want it done. They just want to know how much is this going to cost because. I just want this out of my hair. It's just a problem for me. And so unfortunately, the airtightness test gets put right to the end of, end of the project. And then you get a terrible result because no one's paid any attention to building envelope. And uh, then everyone's pointing fingers. And so I would say to GBCA, I would say, take some inspiration from uh, City of Seattle. Just do and air tightness test. Don't put a limit on it. Say, all we want you to do is do a proper test and do a whole building test where you get a real sense of the building envelope as a whole functioning as it would in real life. And then write down the number. No one's going to criticize you for what the number is, but we just want you to be there to see it, to see what the problems are, and to learn for next time things you can foresee and avoid next time. Because what happens is they've said you can do the, uh, you can get the credit um, and you can get good practice or best practice uh, credits by only testing 10% or 20% of the building envelope, which, again, bringing this back to scale of a house, if you said, we'll give you a credit for only testing one bedroom in your house, and if you can say that that bedroom is... uh, has a permeability of, or a, is a three air changes per hour or less for that one bedroom, then you get credit for doing best practice air tightness for that whole house. You'd say, what? That doesn't make any sense. You're only testing one bedroom. That's not right. indicative of, of the whole house. So it's sort of, I would just, if I could, uh, 
scratch a whole bunch of those things out, these requirements, and then put it start of start from the beginning and say, let's do something more constructive and uh, educational and um, incentivize the industry in a different way. So get rid of some of these broken sticks that you have uh, and start doing things like incentivizing, say, uh, schematic design reviews, design development reviews for uh, building envelope. That would be actual commissioning. And then you would actually get better better buildings that way. So a definition of an air barrier, just a schematic design of a schematic outline of where the what the separation between conditioned and unconditioned spaces is. That sort of what you would think is the most basic thing that of course happens. It doesn't happen in most projects where it's like I tested a, a warehouse building where they had uh, a a big refrigerated warehouse and then an office building attached to it. Well, there were holes so big that you could literally crawl through them into the refrigerated warehouse area. And I bet the people in the office are cold because they're being refrigerated. Uh, This, this building had a permeability of like 22, um, the office building. So that's really, really bad. And so they were worried that they weren't going to get their green star credit. Well, the thing that you should, focus on is the early interventions so plan reviews some inspections uh, all the testers have seen all these problems before and if they're walking through you should be incentivizing them to walk through and, and point out all the problems that they see because that's where you're gonna gonna make actual gains yeah you talked a little bit about getting certain things um into the code and getting cer- getting certain things into the green standard would you say that like the final test is something that's easier to be regulated as kind of a stick under a code and that these sort of early design reviews and inspections along the way are something that are easier to be regulated uh, as, as kind of a carrot under an, uh, you know, a green program. Yeah. That's, that's the way it is. Is Yeah. So it's, in fact, that's really the only place for uh, a numerical a quantitative test is in something like a building code where you say, this is a number that you have to meet and then do the test and show me the number, show me the certificate. And that's proof uh, that belongs in the building yeah. code. All the other stuff, which is the whole process of actually designing and building a building. That's uh, not something that is easily uh, very cleanly and clearly defined and regulated. So it's more industry development and education. So the awesome thing about airtightness testing is Kelly, you've been, uh, you've done many tests yourself, right? Uh, with the blower door over the years. Yep. Many apartment uh, air tightness tests. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember your first one? Yeah. And was it was it cool or was it just exactly what you'd expect? I think it was pretty cool, and I think. I didn't exactly know what to do. I'm actually like reasonably sure that I was testing with somebody else and we had to phone a friend because we didn't actually know how to work the blower door test. Well, and the friend might have been you. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> um, the quantitative testing is interesting, but the qualitative testing is really interesting, right? So that you can run the test and then you can go around and find the leaks. Sometimes it's it's more straightforward than finding the issues in a mechanical system. Sometimes it's not, but um, but it's like straightforward, right? Like you put the fan in the door and then you can see where the leaks are. 
And I think actually the more gratifying thing for me is when you have construction teams in the room and you know, you're sort of showing the cracks and where there might be issues. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think so. Like, I don't think so. That goes to, that doesn't go to the apartment next door. That just is internal. Like, we're not worried about that. And then you turn on the fan and it's like, oh, okay. I guess it is coming from, you know, the apartment next door or the outside or whatever. Yeah. Once you get some experience with uh, doing the testing, you start to learn where the problem originates. Uh, You start to think going back mm-hmm. in time where the design uh, over uh, design uh, oversight was the the really awesome thing about a blower door test is that it's numerical it's quantitative so you can get a number which is useful but uh, it's also like you said it's great to have the whole project team there and to be able to show them holy cow uh, show them all these leaks. So we did a, a test with uh, Green Building Council here in downtown Sydney. It was eight-story building and uh, helped um, S- Sustainability House Suho um, do the test. I, I was just a, a hand to help them. And um, one of the, as part of it, I brought my fog machine. And as I was expecting, the roof parapet is often a weak point in a lot of commercial buildings. So we were out on the veranda outside the roof parapet on the top floor and with the building under negative pressure i stood outside with the fog machine and shot fog at the roof parapet and sure enough fog gets sucked in through the ceiling uh, through the roof in through the ceiling and then coming out of all the light fixtures in the uh this meeting area on the top of this building you wouldn't think i bet 10 years from now uh you will see little traces of dust on those light fixtures where the air is leaving leaving those light fixtures and leaving the dust as it goes uh, because it's going out and up and out the top of the building or vice versa in the summertime. So, um, but to, to see all the people there from the design team, the consultants uh, from green building council to see them walk around and say, what, why is there fog coming out of these lights right now? That's crazy. He's outside right now and we're inside, uh, the fog's coming out of the lights. Why is that happening? It's so uh, eye-opening to see this process. Um, you can touch and feel the air leaks. Like um, some of them are so big that you can take a piece of um, uh, like toilet paper, like single ply toilet paper. Pretty much the only thing it's good for is showing air leaks. So. Uh, you can put it on, uh, use a piece of single ply toilet paper and then hold it against these air leaks and you'll see it's fluttering in the wind and it just makes someone's eyes go wide and say, wow, that's supposed to be a fire separation there. This is supposed to be uh, a smoke extract, uh, smoke exhaust, like a pressurized stairwell here. And here is a piece of toilet paper whistling in the wind. That's a problem. And it's just, it's uh, so it's right. a quantitative and test, which is very powerful for regulation, but it's also qualitative in that you can touch and feel and find and fix air leaks. So it's pretty, pretty awesome uh, process. Yeah. And actually, you were you're kind of talking about fire separation you're t- um, and we've talked about blower door testing on the whole building and blower door testing on an individual mm-hmm. apartment. And I- I'm curious to get your thoughts. So you are a proponent of testing individual apartments. Yep. Um, can you describe for everybody kind of 
Obviously, the exterior envelope, if we're talking about energy, the exterior envelope is is matters mm-hmm. a lot. Can you talk about what the impact is um, on the apartment level envelope and where, you know, why you think that test is just as important or maybe could be, you know, could be used sure. as well? Well, so um, there's, I'd say, very little correlation between the exterior envelope air leakage number that you get and the individual apartment uh, compartment test. So uh, I was contacted by some people in California who wanted to do a research project to say, if you do a sample of apartment tests, uh, can you somehow correlate that with a whole building envelope leakage? And I'd say, definitely not. Maybe you might be able to draw some conclusions based on different construction types, like uh, like uh, really broad uh, construction systems, like concrete or steel-framed, uh, wood-framed. You might be able to see some differences between them, but for the most part, there's very little correlation between compartment testing results and the whole building exterior envelope results. And you're right that the one that most directly relates to building envelope uh, energy use is exterior envelope leakage only, not the individual compartment tests. But there's a couple of reasons why I am a proponent of compartment testing. Number one was, um, maybe it's short-sighted, uh, but I'd say um, I, th- I was thinking this is definitely more um, digestible to a building industry that if they have to do a test on a, a whole building, um, if you did tests on individual units, the cost of doing that is a fraction of the cost of doing a whole building test in some buildings. But as testing uh, industry capacity grows, uh, doing a, a test on even a very large building is not that difficult. So that's um, maybe not a great argument. But uh, from doing research over the years at SWA in New York, um, we found many of the uh, building, large multifamily building problems were related to poor compartmentalization. So ventilation systems work much, much better when they serve a bunch of independent compartments rather than what happens with a large building is you get this, where there's poor separation between the compartments, you get lots of very complex um, networks of air leakage. And uh, so and you can see this in the middle of winter on a cold, still day in winter uh, in New York, you'll see people on the top floor have their windows open because it's so stinking hot on the top of the building. And then the people on the bottom floor are cold because because of stack effect the air is uh, getting sucked in the bottom of the building making the people on the bottom cold and so the building super turns the heat up or changes the set point so that the people on the bottom are satisfied but as a result the people at the top are way overheated because all this warm air from the rest of the building is then spilling uh, out the top the only way that the people on the top are going to get relief is if basically all of the air from the building is evacuated, and finally they reach a uh, comfortable temperature at the top. So it just makes that whole uh, stack effect uh, dynamic is made much, much worse by poorly compartmented buildings. So for fire safety, for energy use, for uh, sound transmission, for pest reduction, uh, for noise, there's so many really really good reasons to compartment 
compartmentalize your uh, multi-compartment buildings, uh, that whatever the fastest way to get uh, reduced energy use is in the code, it just makes a lot of sense for so many other reasons to be uh, tightly compartmenting units. Great. And taking us back to Atma, you mentioned kind of earlier that you work for them one day a week. Do they regulate kind of exterior envelope testing or do they get involved in compartmentalization as well? You could do compartment testing. You could do either through through them. So um, a single zone test would fall under Atma TSL1. They're basically the way to think about it is a level one tester uh, knows how to use one fan and a single zone, simple, small building. So an apartment, house, a small commercial mm-hmm. building, one fan. A level two tester knows how to use two fans or more. So uh, a larger building requiring more equipment, a leakier building, um, a building uh, just because of its size needs more than one fan. That's another level of, uh, usually a level of complexity with building envelope calculations, equipment preparation, experience, lots of reasons why that would be level two. And then level three would be, uh, it's basically a PhD in air tightness testing. So <laughs> currently there are no level three testers. Um, but that's uh, oh, wow. how they... That's a challenge <laughs> Well, uh, it's basically that a lot of the level two testers should be considered level three. They just um, haven't gotten around to, haven't needed to yet uh, really clearly define who's qualified as level three. And who, what standards are requiring, um, or what, is it just the Green Star standard that's requiring ATMA testing, or is it referenced in the code uh, as uh, well? So ATMA itself probably won't be referenced in the code, just like uh, in the U.S., in the IECC, um, uh, HERS rater or BPI tester is not referenced in the code, um, but it might be understood by local hmm. uh, code officials that that's who you except a result from is a, a ResNet, uh, a HERS rater. Um, and that you shouldn't, you should treat with suspicion just any random blower door test that you get from someone who's not uh, part of one of those schemes. So it won't go into the code, uh, Atma specifically, but it would be, what we're trying to do is build relationships with individual stakeholders. So uh, Green Building Council with individual uh, councils, which are like um, small, smaller than uh, county level government, bodies here in Australia. Um, so local local governments that might incentivize things. And we'd say, or a, say a pilot program, if you want to tr- start incentivizing this best practice, um, do it for every registered certificate of air permeability test from ATMA. You can get a credit uh, or a refund of, say, $100 or something to drive the cost of the testing down and uh, make it more attractive and so if you had the entire audience of Australia now, what would you like the general building industry to take away from this discussion? Well, um, so if there were one thing that I would say, one good place to start, it would be uh, at the very beginning for any project team, it would be witness a test by an ATMA tester. So same advice for someone from building codes board, for someone from uh, individual governments, from Green Building Council, from individual consultants, from homeowners, from builders, just witness an ATMA test. And you'll learn so much about uh, how the process 
happens. And then even more importantly, the things that you'll find, the uh, problems that will be revealed by this whole process. And you'll also get a number that you can compare then uh, from your building to the next building to the next building to building code. So um, it's really powerful process, um, very well regulated. And this is a, a piece that can be put into the regulatory framework. And it's also really constructive, uh, useful feedback for everyone involved in the project. And do you um, do you do sample tests for different people to witness? Sure. So um, through Proclima, my employer, um, I've done tests for uh, individual builders in Australia to show them here's where you are currently and here's some things that you can fix. And then, I mean, for any anyone who is trying to push building performance, uh, product sales or whatever it is, um, you could say, look at the things we found with uh, the blower door and here's how you, you can fix them. And by the way, we can sell your products to help you fix that. <laughs> right, absolutely. <laughs> so for for builders, builders or product sales, it's a great sales tool. Uh, for um, consultants, it's a great uh, tool to say, look, we could have helped you find these problems on your building plans and help you avoid them next time. And then for for um, manufacturers to say, look, we our systems have we have these this panelized system that goes together with tight fitting joints. Here's this brochure of our new system, a curtain wall system or whatever it is. The air tightness test as a sales tool is an amazing ally. Right. Absolutely. And so. Sean, if we have you back on the podcast in five years, what do you think we would be talking about then? Hmm. Well, what we're going to be talking about is some of the awesome data that's going to come from Atma. So pretty much the whole reason that I started talking to them is that, uh, well, I guess, uh, four years ago, five years ago now, um, was that they made this tool called Atma Lodgement, which is an online um database where you submit your results and it goes it goes through some quick quality checks to say what's your r squared what's your n it does some data checks to say does your test result make sense um, and then it spits out a, a registered air, air permeability certificate and uh, when you do that you contribute your data to lodgement it goes into a database now this might blow your mind i hope it does <laughs> um, they started this database four years ago or something and uh, very quickly it just it was a runaway success so they have now uh, in just over four years over 750,000 test results in their database 750,000 test results? 750,000 test results it's crazy and they're making it easier and easier and easier all the time wow. so it's amazing for so many reasons um, because you have all this data to then draw some really solid uh, conclusions about build quality, about policy effectiveness, about building systems that are being used. So in the UK, you lodge what type of building system it is. So whether you're building with wood framed or timber, they call it, uh, or uh, masonry construction, steel framed, um, you can draw some pretty clear conclusions from this stuff 
when you have data sets that are that large. So it's crazy how big this is. So what's the most interesting thing you found in the data? Well, um, I think it's pretty, this is a common uh, point of argument and discussion is that uh, if you look at the results, you see, uh, so in the UK, you have to define what the air permeability is before you do your project. So say a common target is a permeability of five, which is about five ACH. So uh, you say, we are going to build this building with a permeability of five. That's our target. And then we're going to do the test. And what you see is that most of the, the results are about uh, between 4.9 and 5, which tells you that either the builders are really good at uh, getting right on target, or they are just slightly missing the mark and then do just enough to get them over uh, down to that 5 limit. You can look at that in two ways. You could say, well, yeah. the builders are clearly, they only do exactly the minimum required. Uh, and they're just scraping by, which in some cases is true, but it also, you could look at it in another way, which is to say, this is clearly a market mechanism, a market driving mechanism at work here. It is incentivizing a best practice here of uh, this air tightness target. And then how you meet that target is up to you. Um, whether you want to use a uh, better membrane or better tapes or uh, a rigid air barrier on the outside or uh, self-adhered WRB, whatever whatever strategy you use, um, it's your choice to do that. And so it unleashes the power of innovation, I think. Uh, and uh, also, so I think um, seeing some broad uh, data sets for Australia would be really, really awesome. Uh, so looking at different building types and there are some things some certain practices i won't name them now uh, that we think are pretty poor and we just want to use this data to show uh, what works and what doesn't so in five years from now i'll be able to show you some pretty cool results okay so you have that data in there already but you're waiting for more well we don't have uh, much data there's about a thousand test results from australia so far got it um, but a lot of the data is, you know, good performers, uh, people who are actually trying, which doesn't give a fair um, gauge on what standard practice is. Gotcha. So that 750,000 is around the world? Uh, those are just from the UK. Oh, from the UK. Got it. Doesn't that blow your mind? That does blow my mind. Yeah. So this, it's basically they're getting close to 100% testing of all buildings in the UK. Wow. And that's whole building testing, or that includes dwelling unit testing as well? Both. Got it. So, okay. I was going to say, that's not really a five-year plan if you already have it. Well, we don't have it. The UK has that regulation in place to require that. Got it. Yep. In Australia, what we're doing over the next five years is uh, trying to work with these stakeholders to say, look, here's a path we can see forward. Uh, and if a stakeholder might be individual state that says, all right, it's optional uh, to do an air tightness test in our state. But if you want to use this uh, energy modeling path, the performance path, you have to do a test to prove that you met the target that you set for yourself at the beginning. That's one way to do it. And then um, I just can't wait to see all the data. All right. That sounds great. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Well, we look forward to hearing all about it in five years when we have you back on the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, Kelly, it was awesome. And I miss all the really awesome people at SWA and all the great work that you guys do. And if I were back in America, uh, I would love to work with you guys again, but I 
would still be uh, pushing you all to join Atma as well. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. And you are welcome back anytime, Sean. Awesome. Buildings and Beyond is brought to you by Stephen Winter Associates. We believe that our world is not as sustainable, healthy, safe, equitable, or inclusive as it needs to be. We continually strive to develop and implement innovative solutions to improve the built environment. If you want to join us in our mission, visit swinter.com careers. A big shout out to our production team, Jade Alvarez, Dylan Martello, Alex Mirabile, Heather Breslin, as well as my co-host, Rob Aldridge. We all thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time.